Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, West Cork Treasure and Chat Show King, Graham Norton. But, uh, hey, share and ABBA, what's not to love? I know, I know. It's the gayest thing I've seen all week. Well, <laughs> apart from the England football team and swimwear riding inflatable unicorns. <laughs> That happened. (laughs) Football's coming out. Having entertained us for more than 20 years. Delighting. Very, very frightening. Norton has interviewed the world's most famous stars and gotten them to reveal their most intimate stories. But when he got married back home in West Cork this week, even the identity of the groom was top secret. There hasn't been a word written or broadcast about the identity of Mr. Norton's partner, which I think very much underlines just the efforts that went in keeping this this wedding ceremony off the radar. With book deals and wine endorsements, it looks like Graham Norton has it all. But there were challenges along the way. London is a tough place for him and for many Irish people who left in the 1980s. Um, He actually got stabbed there in 1989. He was stabbed by a stranger. He lost a great deal of blood and almost died. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today I'm joined by Irish independent journalists John Marr and Ralph Regal to chart the success of broadcaster Graham Norton. Ralph Regal, Graham Norton's wedding seems to have come as a surprise to everybody, including the locals. Yeah, very much so, Kevin. Um, he is quite zealous uh, about protecting his privacy. He is incredibly generous with his time in West Cork. But there's very much an understanding that uh, while he does support various events and charities and community groups or whatever, his private time is very much his private time. And this event very much came in under the radar. Uh, all people knew that there was some type of special event being planned for Bantry House um, over the weekend. And locals in Ahakista had noticed there were special marquees had been erected around uh, Mr. Norton's property. But there was absolutely no inkling of precisely what was involved. Now, there were lots of rumours. I think people realised that it was a very special personal occasion. They initially weren't quite sure whether it was a birthday or some type of family celebration. But then the rumours began to leak out that it was actually a blessing ceremony for a marriage which had actually taken place earlier. And then there was the rumour well went into overdrive. There's all kinds of talk about who the precise guests were. Of course, he's quite friendly with Elton John. 
Elton John had played a concert in Porky Kiev just a couple of weeks ago. So there were rumours that he was there. Then there was rumours that Lulu was there. Now, we do realise or do understand that Lulu had played for part of this um, gathering and that there was also a performance by a troupe from Riverdance. And the celebration seemed to have focused around an event at Bantry House, which was um, completely booked out. It was an entirely private uh, invite-only event. And then a celebration both beforehand and afterwards uh, on the grounds of Mr. Norton's house just outside Ahakista. But so secretive, Ralph, that you, who knows everything that moves in Cork, (laughs) don't even know who he married. No, and not one newspaper or radio station or television station has referred to who his partner is. And in a way, that's not surprising because I think if you look at Graham Norton, he is such an incredibly high profile um, broadcaster, author. I mean, major radio personality in the UK, of course, his chat show on BBC is regularly one of the most watched television programs. He's very high profile with his wine endorsements. His book tours have proved hugely successful, but he has managed to draw a very, very strict dividing line between the public Graham Norton that we all know and love and Graham Norton, the private individual. And he is incredibly careful to separate the private life um, to keep it very much out of the public glare. So we hadn't even... I mean, if you look at the various um, gossip pages and celebrity um, magazines, there had been very little over recent weeks and months about whether he was involved even in a a very steady or long-term relationship. So as regards the identity, the nationality of his partner, there hasn't been a word written. And Ralph, you mentioned that he likes to protect his privacy. We know he's talked a lot about some uncomfortable moments in growing up in in Ireland. But in recent years, he seems to go back to Cork a lot more. Do people there, he's a big fish in a small pond, let's be honest, when he goes back to to West Cork. Do people leave him alone or or does it come with all this uh, pressure for selfies and everybody in the place knows Graham Norton is around? I think there's an element, Kevin, that certainly, I mean... No one is saying that he doesn't get the odd request for an autograph or a selfie or people commenting about his shows or whatever like that. But I think there's a general respect for the private individual. And that seems to be something that's very much inherent in West Cork. And I don't think it's any surprise that if we look at, there's quite a number of very, very high profile celebrities who have chosen to live in West Cork because I just think it seems to give them a bit of a respite from the non-stop attention that they might get in larger places such as you know London or Dublin or New York or whatever like that. And if you look at West Cork, I mean, Jeremy Irons has lived there for years. Uh, Sir David Putnam has lived there for years. And um, you've had Roy Disney, the heir to the Disney empire. He's been based there. So there's been a lot of very, very high profile celebrities who on the one hand love the beauty of the location, but I think also attach a lot of value to the way that their privacy is respected, that locals aren't constantly knocking on their door, constantly looking for photographs. And Graham Norton, I think people very much appreciate the fact that he is very good to the community. He has supported fundraising events for Bantry General Hospital, for the intensive care unit at CUH. Of course, famously, the most sought after tickets in Cork are the tickets for Graham Norton's table quiz at the annual Ahakista Summer Festival. And, you know, he has been very generous with his time. He has a walkway named after him in Bandon. He has gone back to his old alma mater um, at Bandon Grammar School over the years. So while I think he did have challenges and issues Growing up in West Cork, certainly as a young man, I think he went overseas. He was looking for something fresh. I think there has been a general realization that West Cork 
has something special, something magnetic for him, and that it gives him some type of relaxation or some kind of a break from the constant pressures of pressures of celebrity and the celebrity lifestyle in London. Do you think he might ever move back to Cork permanently? Would you believe it, Kevin? That's a question that we've asked him multiple times over the years. I mean, I've I've met him at when he got an honorary doctorate in UCC. I've met him at Bandon Grammar School over the years at various other events. And it's the one question that constantly crops up. And what's very interesting is he never rules it out. What he does say is that the demands of his career at the moment means that his life really, his, his working life pretty much revolves around London and, and the, all the various um, events linked to it. But he has always said how much he loves his life in West Cork. He has said he spends an awful lot of time here, particularly in the summer. And I think it's also interesting that if you look at a spin-off of the, the whole COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown, he has been able to do his Virgin Radio show remotely from the C103 FM studios in Bandon. And that's something that not only works for him, but I think suits him because it gives him that extra bit of time in West Cork where he can rest, recharge the batteries. So I think it's a kind of a a recharge of lifestyle um, destination for him and prepares him then for the demands of the busy celebrity and broadcast season uh, in London from September onwards. John Marr, Graeme Norton, he's not who he says he is. He's not. He's, he was born Graeme Walker, um, but he had to change his name uh, because when he decided to become an actor in the 80s, Equity, the Actors' Union, there was already a Graeme Walker there. So he plucked a name from one of his distant relations, a surname from, from there, and went with it. And so tell me about the Walkers and his journey from Cork to the UK. Yeah, well, he was born in Dublin and grew up and spent a little bit of time in Clondalk. And his father was a rep with Guinness. And then the family moved to West Cork to Bandon. Bandon is crucial because the family are Church of Ireland and Bandon alongside Greystones is, I suppose, the most predominant Church of Ireland uh, town in Ireland. And uh, he had a, a, a quite a modest upbringing by his own admission. He says the family were had a 1950s style about them um, in, in terms of, I suppose, a social mores and so forth. Um, he hankered to leave Ireland from an early age. He had a bad time of it at UCC. He once claimed he had a breakdown there. Years later, he said, look, it wasn't quite that bad. I just had been to San Francisco for a while and returning to Cork felt very parochial. So he winds up in London. And he decides he wants to be an actor and that's when the name change comes. But London is a tough place for him and for many Irish people who left in the 1980s. Um, he actually got stabbed there in 1989 and almost died. And I mean, if, if, if that was the absolute uh, trough in his life, there were lots of peaks to come. Tell us about the stabbing. Yeah, he doesn't think it was um, motivated by homophobia. He was just uh, alone uh, in, in the darkness. Uh, he was stabbed by a stranger. He lost a great deal of blood and he claims that he wouldn't be here today were it not for an old couple who... Uh, saw the incident happen, came out, gave him assistance. He, may, he Quite poignantly, he talks about the, the, the lady, he held her hand because he, he at that moment felt that he was actually going to die. So a really frightening thing for somebody in their late 20s as it was then. So how did he get into radio television then? If He, he didn't seem to have the connections that you no, kind of assume no, many people who make the heights he has would have. Yeah, there were no connections at all. Um, 
By his own admission, he was a failed actor. So he did an acting course in London and there's a lot of people who want to go into the acting game, including people from this country who go over there too. But what he did discover was that he was funny and he was good in the stand-up circuit. And at that time in broadcasting in the UK, Julian Clary, who was flamboyantly gay, was was doing well. So there was a, a market for openly gay men uh, to, to broadcast to, to a large audience. People who were quite camp, as, as Graham, uh, by his own ad- admission, very much is. And he got some small gigs along the way, predominantly on, on, on TV, kind of bit part shows before Channel 4 take the plunge. Now, for a lot of people, the first time they will actually have seen him is uh, on Father Ted, where he plays this <laughs> this character called Father Noel Furlong, um, who's all about the forced fun. And, you know, some of his critics would say Graham Norton's TV and radio to a degree is about the forced fun. I would disagree. I really think we should think about trying to get out here. Oh, God, Ted, maybe you're right. If we don't get out, we might have to eat each other. You know, like, like in that film Alive, where they get into the plane crash and then they have to eat all their friends. Mm, look, look, here's me eating Tony. Nom, 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 nom. Was Father Ted a turning point for him? Because that is where so, so many people know that character. It was yeah. a semi-regular cameo role, yeah. but it's iconic. It is iconic. It is, and a lot of people did very well from that show. I think... It, it, it comes in tandem with the, the the connections he was starting to make in UK broadcasting. He, he worked for years in Terry Wogan House in the BBC and the Wogan thing is crucial because here is another Irish guy who is a great broadcaster but also has a kind of a playful sense of humour but can appeal to Middle England. And early on, all those attributes were lining up for Graham Norton too. You know, there was, he wasn't a threatening or abrasive character. He was quite funny, but there was smarts there as well. And Very different from Wogan, though. Yeah, in, in many respects. Um, and, and yeah, but, but yet there's, there's that kind of wry sense of humour. I think both of them had great, have great, well, obviously Terry is no longer with us, but great comic timing in terms of also knowing when to, to not speak and let the guest kind of tell their story. Um, but, uh, you know, some would say Graham Norton is a bit more waspish than t- Terry Wogan was, but I think largely they're cut from the same cloth. Hi, what's your name? Cathy. Cathy, and what's happened to you? Um, basically, I'm a nurse in a geriatric ward and She's I had a nurse? A really, yeah, okay, fair. I had a really busy night and there was patients dying by the second. <laughs> and <laughs> She's a top nurse, ladies and gentlemen. But um, I rang the wrong relatives of a patient and said their mother had died. (laughs) (laughs) We go beyond embarrassing. His first big TV show then was So Graham Norton. People may not remember that because now we very much know the Graham Norton show on a a Saturday night. Yeah, Yeah, this is with Channel 4. And I suppose Channel 4 then, this is roughly 20 years ago. It's all about irreverence. It's, it's not your classic chat show, which, which his show now kind of is to a degree. There's lots of escapades, there's fun and games, there's jokes, some of which landed, some of which didn't. Um, and I, I guess it was m- more of a late night kind of audience. There was an aspect of the, the risque about it, which he's largely pushed, 
pushed to one side now. Interestingly, he 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 is he was a huge admirer of Gay Burns, and he always felt that the audience in the Late Late Show was crucial to the success of the Late Late. And for him, certainly around So Graham Norton, the audience was crucial as well. Relatively quickly, he started to get big name guests. They wanted to come and talk to Graham Norton, even though he was kind of a newcomer. There wasn't the the agenda they might have felt would have come from other uh, talk show hosts. And, and I guess in a way, he was never going to go very deep with them in terms of areas they didn't want to go to. Also, one of the, the very clever things that, that he did was to have guests on at the same time so they could kind of riff off each other. And some of the very best moments in his TV career, he has been a, a bystander effectively, while the guests have played with each other and have, 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 have provoked each other and, and had a bit of laugh in unison. It wasn't always happy clappy, though. I mean, that there was one time when Raquel Welch got called a, a grumpy old bitch. And <laughs> take too too kindly to that. She she didn't, and I think the uh, you know the the, the, trans, the 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 link to her was cut quite quickly. But even even at that moment, the, you know, the, the the tongue is almost in cheek when he's delivering it. There isn't there isn't the nastiness to his presentation. I think that's one of the reasons why he's enjoyed such longevity. I'm always intrigued, John, that the BBC allow the Graham Norton show as it is now to have the guests drinking and Graham mm. on apology, unapologetically Absolutely. drinking. With an enormous fishbowl type, um, type glass. And I don't yeah. know about you, Kevin, but I've watched that and I've reached to a bottle of wine myself. Yeah, exactly. Know? This is I a product placement. I want to be part of that. I mean, he, he effectively took the best aspects of his Channel 4 show and moved them into the BBC. He's one of his own producers and I think part of the deal if he was going to move into the Beeb was I'm going to do what I want. I know this works. But yeah, for a staid organisation, it, it does feel um, still like something quite different to the it norm. G- it gives you a little bit more of they're in my living room because they're having a drink and I'm having a Absolutely. drink and uh, they, they might be superstars, but sure, they're having a laugh as well. They are. And even though it's all pre-recorded, it does have that live anything goes feel, mm. which is part of his brilliance. Part of which is the red chair. Off you go with this story, Sean. Uh, so a few years ago, I was at a wedding and it, the ceremony happened. It was lovely. And then we went to the reception and at the reception, everybody started doing speeches. And then the groom stood up and said to everyone, we're going to play a game. So he said, asked everyone to stand up. So everyone stood up. Everybody was kind of giggling. And then he asked everyone to flip over their plate. And if there's a red dot at the bottom of their plate, please stay standing. So everyone did it and it kind of filtered out. And then there was eight guys left standing. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, can you all please look at the eight gentlemen left standing? They have slept with my wife since we've been engaged. I am now going for an annulment. And he walked straight out of the room. It's, it's one of those things. It's such a great cl- a trick in television production because it, you always wait till the end. Even if you're a bit bored by the music Absolutely. act or whatever, you're like, ah, but I'll hold on for the red chair at the yeah, end. Yeah, and I, I, again, it's, it's almost so old-fashioned as well. It's like a variety show from the early 20th century or something. And the stories are great. But again, it's back to that idea about Gay Byrne and the late, late audience uh, that, that regular people can produce TV gold and they have done it on this time and again. You mentioned Terry Wogan. Obviously, he took over the Eurovision from Terry. And you're right when you say that they're, they're both very similar in that you could probably play back old Terry Wogan version, uh, Eurovision years and, and Graham Norton years. 
You could. Uh, you could. And a lot of people in this country get miffed when it, when both of those people use the word we mm. um, to describe mm. the British entry. But of course, their their careers are there. He was very excited this year when, when Sam uh, Thingy from in, the... Indeed, who almost, almost did won. it, almost, almost won. And who knows, the UK may yet be uh, hosting that next year. Now, the artist is called Aminata, and it must be one of the worst song titles ever. It's called Love Injected. Well, she's dressed up a lot with a toilet brush, to be honest. He's a natural, natural at that because he both loves Eurovision and sees how ridiculous it is. And that's the, that's the key. That's the, the sweet spot. The sweet spot, yeah. Book, books and wine, John. Indeed, yeah. I mean, he, he's written several books. They're, they're fiction. They're set in Ireland. And uh, Holding was a big success. It was uh, made into a, a drama series, which I have yet to see. But what's fascinating about him is that he came to it quite late. So he's in his early 50s when he writes his first book. I'd been that guy who'd always said, oh, I'd love to write a novel. Mm. And at some point, you either need to shut up or do it. It's not rocket science, you know, you just do it. The vast majority of novels uh, in the world are unfinished. They're in bottom drawers, they're on memory sticks. And so uh, that was the bit I wasn't sure I'd be able to do. Could I complete this task. And he quipped recently that he doesn't know how people like Sally Rooney, who's barely 30, have the discipline to to actually tap, tap away at their keyboard for hours on end because he said, you know, at that age he was gallivanting and desperately trying to climb that greasy pole of entertainment. So the books have been been well received. He's also got wine. You mentioned the kind of the, the, the wine that is liberally drunk on his show. I suppose it was a it was a natural uh, financial progression in a way, but like the books and the TV show, I've yet to sample that particular wear. Well, I, I've seen Holding and I, it, it's decent. Uh, Siobhan Maximini from Derry Girls, of course, has a, a big role in it. And as for the wine, I've sampled that too. Not the, <laughs> not the finest brew ever, but, okay. but not. I wouldn't turn it down yeah, at the same time. Not pain stripper. What is left to do or what happens for Graham Norton? He can't go mm. on forever doing the, the Saturday night uh, show on BBC or doing his, his various radio shows. Yeah. Although he did once say he'd like to finish up doing a late night radio show where you just bring on the listener and, and kind of sigh heavily about whatever their story of and, the day is. And that, that could yet happen for him. I mean, it's fascinating that, you know, uh, for, during the summer months, he records his Virgin Media radio show from West Cork, where he lives uh, in the summer months. And I think Ireland has become an increasingly important place for him. Um, I don't think he's, you know, there's fanciful talk that maybe one day he'd want to do the late, late. I don't think that's going to happen. It's like he's such, in such an enormous pond at the moment. I mean, he did try his look in the US and that didn't work out for him. So it hasn't all been plain sailing. He didn't really translate well over there. I do think that there is profound intelligence there. He's a really interesting character. And and to some degree, his telework doesn't capture all of that. I think there could be that that move into more cerebral uh, broadcasting. I think he would do well at that. And he's still only 59. There's in, in telly terms, there's quite a way to go if he wants it. I don't think there's any sense that people are, are, are sick of him. I know that when he was on BBC Radio for all those years, there were question marks over the money that he was getting. Uh, of course, he's got his own production company for the TV stuff, so nobody knows how much he, he's, he's earned from that. Although I have seen figures that put his wealth at around £30 million. So he's doing okay. My thanks to John Marr and earlier to Ralph Regal. 
I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Garrett Mulhall, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips were from the BBC, Channel 4, The Graham Norton Show and ITV. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.